Thank you for coming here today. It's me, Linda Sage, on Learning From Life. One thing I can promise you, there'll be people to meet over the airways here you'll never forget. Some, as long as you live. Let's just say, most have had what could be termed as an interesting life. It's not what happens, it's how you deal with it. And one line from any of them could change the way you deal with things forever. They'd be landing from all parts of the planet, all ages, backgrounds and experiences. Telling the truth of how it was and how they manage things may just help you miss a rock or two along your road too. Hi and warm welcome. We are back again. I'm Linda Sage and this is Learning From Life. And yes, I know every time I say how I have an amazing guest and today... Is no different. This time we're actually virtually travelling across the big pond and we're going to land in America. Not in one of the usual places, so uh, we've got lots to talk about. And joining me today is uh, Ryan Zadrazil. And uh, this gentleman, had, again, like most of our people, have many hats, but such a great in-depth knowledge about mental health and he's a real, real strong advocate about getting it spoken about, getting the taboos broken and just having a good life because all of us at some point in time has issues with mental health, especially coming through COVID. So Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for the the warm introduction, Linda. I really appreciate it. Uh, Ryan, uh, I know, tell us first of all, where are you? I am in uh, the state of Wisconsin, um, very close to Green Bay, Um, so go Packers. Um, Yeah, so I live in Appleton, Wisconsin. A very beautiful area. Very beautiful. Lots of uh, state parks and trails and nature activities to be done here. (laughs) Not not the likes of New York or Los Angeles. A little bit different, yeah. So, Ryan, I'm so glad. I know, I know it's really sort of early for you, so it, uh, we're really thankful you got up so early in the morning to, to join us uh, today as well. And uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. So, Ryan, who, who are you? Yeah, definitely. So Ryan Zadrazil is a mental health advocate and uh, an activist for change. Um, professionally, I work for a company called BetterMind, where I'm a account executive, and BetterMind is an online therapy platform for college students, which allows them to do therapy sessions from anywhere, whether it be on a tablet, um, smartphone, or even computer. And that's really important now. With the technology and the distance and the space that we've had, so people don't feel that they're disconnected. Exactly. Uh, Talking to a lot of counseling centers the last couple of weeks, it's it's been hard with the end of the semester and obviously students are stressed out trying to prepare for finals. So I think Better Mind's a great way for people to get access to therapy, but be able to do it from the comfort of their, their home or apartment or wherever they might live. So Ryan, you have first-hand knowledge, of course, of mental health issues. Yes, lots of experience with mental mental health issues and mental health successes. I would say I'm in a really good spot right now. I'm very stable and I know where I'd like to go with my life so I feel like I have a good control over my my mental health at the the current time. But but growing up with mental health can be very traumatic and finding your way I mean finding your way through the maze of growing up and adolescence is 
complicated. But when you're doing it and you feel as if you're completely different to the rest of the world, must be quite traumatic. Yeah, it's it's not an easy thing to live through. Um, so I started having issues in grade school, elementary school, actually, and I was put on medication. And there wasn't a lot of communication from the psychiatrist or my parents about why I was taking the medication. And this has made me really passionate about implementing early childhood education uh, in regards to mental health and really educating the children on what they're going to be experiencing and um, who they can go to to get support. It's funny because I heard you talking about that the other day. Um, uh, likewise, my daughter was was on Ritalin and then Concerta. And I must admit that tweaked a, a, a trigger for me and thought, I wonder how much she understood at the time. So I actually went back and had this conversation with her, which is, is quite interesting because, yeah, as an adult, you, you assume you're making the right choices and you're doing things, but you're not aware of the whole effect for the person that's actually taking it. Yeah, being the end user, it would have been nice if there was a little bit of <laughs> communication from my parents and my psychiatrist at a younger age. So I knew what was going on. And again, understanding where I can go to get help or talk through these issues I was facing. So going through school, obviously, yeah, there was issues. Did you find that you developed coping strategies to be able to, to do things that everybody else takes sort of normally? I did not in high school, nor in middle school, nor in elementary school. I didn't actually start really recognizing that I had a mental health issue until um, I was about 24 or 25. I pretty much ignored it, took my medications, and just moved on with my day. But now that I've become aware you know, that there's an issue, I, I've developed a very strong support network. I do a lot of things for the mental health community to get more intertwined with everybody and understand the issues they're facing, not only my own, but maybe helping them benefit from my past experiences. And, and I know sort of mental health is, it's still wrapped in stigma. You know, I mean, when I started like 40 odd years ago in uh, uh, psychology, it was very much thought of the white men, uh, the coats, uh, men in white coats coming to take you away. But yeah, we should have moved on in society and in, you know, but just a humanity, really. But there's still such a stigma around the mental health well-being. Yeah, and it goes back again to, like, I, I truly believe, like, having education in elementary school is would make a huge, huge difference because we talk about puberty and drugs and alcohol, but there's there's very little talk of mental health, if not any. And I think understanding at a young age what you're going to be experiencing as you go through middle school and high school would prepare us to have those conversations, whether it be with your teacher, administration, or, or even your parents. You, you did a post actually the other day um, about all the all the different areas of the body, uh, the the skin and the bones and the organs, all having different doctors, and that's accepted. So why isn't sort of the uh, doctor of the of the mind or illness of the mind accepted the same way? It's a great question, Linda. So I I feel like it's not accepted because it's a very personal experience, your mental health, whereas like it's invisible. So when somebody breaks their arm and gets put in a cast. Everybody wants to sign their cast and support them. 
The problem is when somebody goes to a psychiatric facility and comes out, there's no one really there to support them. And it's not, it's taboo. It's not really talked about. I'm, I'm just going because you're still very a uh, uh, young man. Obviously, uh, relationships and things like this. Is it something that you have to actually tackle when you go into a new relationship, or is it something you sort of hold back from and uh, you don't sort of discuss it or just let things happen? In the past, I I wouldn't have discussed it, but when the moment feels right, and it's usually pretty quickly, learning to get to know somebody. I'm, I'm pretty open about it. I think if someone can't accept me for who I am, I probably shouldn't be like associating with that person from my own personal opinion. Do you, do you feel dealing with other people? Because obviously you're involved a lot with the, the college students, but also other people for the work that you do and that. Do, do you find that listening with other people invigorates you or it drains you? Depends on the day. <laughs> um, sometimes it's very invigorating, like the clubhouse room you're a part of with me mm -hmm. on uh, Saturdays. I look forward to that because I've built relationships with the people in there. And I really want to hear, you know, what's going on in our life and how can I support them? There are days where I feel very drained, probably from work. And it's a little bit harder to have those conversations. But once they get going, like this conversation right here, it's 6.42 in the morning here in the States where I am. And I am just excited to be having this conversation and share my experiences. So if you're taking on the emotional baggage of other people, how, how do you protect yourself? Do you have special, do you have somebody to go to, to to offload or do you have other ways of dealing with it? Yeah, there's different channels of dealing with it. I find that walking has been really helpful for me. Um, breathing exercises have been very helpful. And then my father has been just incredibly supportive throughout my life. And he's someone I can go to, uh, to talk about things. Yeah, that, I think that's really, really important to, to have think around you. And people that are close to you, sometimes it's difficult because they're emotionally involved in you as well. Yeah, I, when I have struggles with my bipolar, um, it impacts my family because obviously they don't want to see me going through that and making the same mistakes I have in the past. Um, and I know my, my dad, his, his mother um, had bipolar disorder. So I think that has a big impact on him as well because he's already experienced it one time and he doesn't want to see those same things happen again. And, and I know when you spoke before about medication and that, how it sort of dulls you and, and makes you feel as if you're a different person. Yeah, I've become very um, accustomed to taking the medication, the current medications that I'm taking right now. And I don't feel like they have a, they have more positive effect than they have a negative effect. Because obviously with bipolar disorder, you have a chemical imbalance in your brain. So if you weren't to take medications, there's going to have to be another channel in order to like stabilize yourself. So the medications I'm on seem to be working great. And I, I feel like a, a human being. I don't feel dulled out as much as I have um, on other medications. Do, do you think that the, the medication side of it has improved with, with time as well? 
I think so. Yeah, I think what it really is about is finding the medications that work best for you. I, I talked to a friend on Friday and he said he had a test taken and the medication he was on actually didn't like mesh with his body very well. I think it was Latuva or something like that. And he was telling me how they realized that he was on the wrong medication for him at that time. So it's really dependent on the individual. Do you think that um, psychiatrists and, and doctors are too fast in prescribing medication before, like, like with your friend, not knowing you know, what will be right? Or is it sort of a, a hit and miss before you get a balance? My personal experience, <laughs> it's been a hit or miss a lot, like especially from the age of 13 to 17. I didn't even have a diagnosis really. Like I was diagnosed ADHD in grade school, but they couldn't figure out why the medications weren't balancing me out um, throughout high school. So I think it's important that like the communication between the psychiatrist and the patient, I had a psychiatrist who, um, who got laid off or I guess you could call it fired because he was spending too much time with his patients. And that's the kind of stuff that really frustrates me because the whole point of working with a psychiatrist is to build a relationship where you can trust them um, to make diagnoses and prescribe you medications. Yeah. As I say, you know, you're, you're still a young man. So high school and, and that for you and college, university isn't that far behind you. So it's often a hard path for a lot of people anyway. Do you think that things could have been done better to help you go through them? Yeah, I think in the schools, especially having more education around mental health and not only recognizing your own mental health problems or issues, but recognizing the issues your friends could be facing. Say if somebody's in crisis, you know, I didn't, I wasn't really prepared to handle that situation in high school. If I had a friend who was having like an emergency, I wouldn't know what to do because they never taught me what to do. Mm -hmm. So it's a little different now just because there's so much access to um, information with the internet. I only had like dial up internet when I was in high school. So it's a little different now, but I feel like the schools could definitely be a little bit more proactive. Do you think sometimes that that could also be a double-edged sword, that there's so much information out there, so people were Googling, you know, Dr. Google, and all of a sudden they come up with all these these great issues when there's things that it's much simpler answers? Yeah, and I, I think a lot of that is being able to feel comfortable going to a professional because at the end of the day, WebMD is not going to tell you everything, and a psychiatrist is probably going to have a better understanding, or even a, a therapist, of what you're going through and be able to really hear you out vocally, not just looking at a computer monitor and deciding, I have X, Y, Z. So go, going forward, what, what does the future hold for you, Ryan? What are you looking to do? Ryan is looking to... Be a catalyst for change. Um, I know Mental Health Awareness Month right now is going on and mm -hmm. very involved in a lot of different things, maybe too many things. Maybe I might <laughs> overextend myself a bit, but I just think it's really important to keep these conversations going, not only throughout the month of May, but for the remainder of the year. Um, I just, 
I feel as though a lot of times people will talk about the mental health throughout May and then it just gets put on the back burner again and it becomes a different, you know, celebrating a different thing for a month. So it's really important to keep the conversation going, continuing to connect with new people like yourself, Linda, and just have great conversations and raise awareness. So do you, th- I mean, especially coming through COVID, and I know in all countries, people have been affected. So it used to be quoted, you know, one in four people have a mental health issue. And I think, I think we quite clearly could say four in four now with everything that's been going on in the last 15 months uh, throughout the world. So do you think it's something that should be more uh, readily accepted without the social stigma? Yes. Um, so a big thing that I think where COVID comes into play is with the workplace. Everybody's working remote now. There isn't as much like face-to-face interaction. People feel lonely. So I think employers need to more, be more cognizant of, you know, the mental health of their employees instead of just, um, putting first and foremost profit. It's a, it's a really, really good point. So if you had to go back and, like, you know what you know now and we're talking to the, your younger Ryan, what advice would you have given him? Tell your parents what's wrong. Just talk to them. Explain to them what you're going through. Don't bottle it up. Just, you can trust your parents, Ryan, and it's important that you tell them the issues you're facing or the, the things, the thoughts you're having in your head. And and as you said, that uh, other members in your family have had the same traits. Does that worry you or is it something that you think about for future generations? It is, but I think I'm very prepared to handle those situations now, whereas mm-hmm. I wasn't very prepared as a child all the way up till high school and even beyond that a little bit. So I think I feel ready if someone were to have a mental illness in my family, I would know how to intervene and how to provide support and just how to listen. Yeah, and I think that, that's the biggest thing because most people that you speak to involved with mental illness and issues and things like this feel that they don't actually get listened to. Yeah, definitely. And it, I think the place where it's the worst, where it shouldn't be the worst is... When you go to the hospital and say you do a hospital, say, for a mental illness, I feel like they're just trying to rush you out the door, prescribe you medications and just rush you out the door. And when all reality, there shouldn't have to be, you know, a crisis situation. It should be someone should intervene prior to that or recognize the signs. And I think that's the issue with not having enough education to society around mental health. There's no way to really recognize the signs and be educated when somebody is having a mental health crisis. That, that's a big thing, isn't it, the, the prevention? Because, you know, it, it's not like emulsion paint. It's all a broken leg. You know, that it's, it's a break and that's the end of it. It's the bone that, that's misplaced so they can see exactly what it is. You know, in all mental health issues, there's not just usually one. There's usually other factors and uh, there, there might be more of this and less of that. So every single one is individual. And one in eight, um, I'm pretty sure this is a statistic, 
but one in eight emergency room admissions are related to a mental health or substance abuse issue. And just think what a difference we could make if people were educated and knowed how to handle those situations. Um, there wouldn't have to be one in eight people in the emergency room seeking mental health or substance abuse support. It, it, it's a bit of a, a social stigma, uh, perhaps here in the UK, but I'm sure in the US it, it's a, an issue as well. Do you think that this has a significance within social economic uh, fields as well? In, in what regards, Linda? Uh, do you... Do you I mean, we in, in our prison population, we see a very high amount of uh, people, m males and females, that have very low educational achievements, which a lot of that is related to uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the basic mental health issues like the dyslexia, dyspraxia on the autistic spectrum, you know, not without going into the great, you know, deep ones but they didn't get an education so their employment possibilities were lesser and so crime and addictions were a lot more uh, a lot more likely do you do you sort of find the same there that the economic factor has a, a an issue in this as well yeah with the economic factor i think a lot of times too there's issues in the household whether it be drug use or just neglect. I think a lot of those people who aren't getting the best education and going into the prison system and having issues, they didn't have a support system there to begin with. So mm -hmm. I think that's what the challenge really is. Yeah, that's a really good point. So Ryan, if people want to get uh, in touch with you or uh, get to know more about you, where's the best place for them to look? The best place would be LinkedIn. Uh, that's where I hang out the most. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd love to connect with anybody and feel free to send me a message if you want to talk. Great. And of course, you're at your clubhouse as well. Clubhouse too. Yep. Every Saturday morning, 1030 a.m. CST, we meet and we just have a mental health hangout. Yeah. And that and that's half past four um, if you're this side, this side of the pond because it's, a, it's a, a great room. But uh, so, Ryan, thank you so, so much. Just any final words that you'd like to, to say to anybody that's having issues or going through issues? Yeah, just a real actionable tip. I know a lot of people are working remote right now, and it's easy to get drawn into what you're working on and probably get stressed out. But put time for self-care on your calendar. It's something I started doing recently, and it makes a huge difference getting that notification that, oh, 15 minutes of self-care, do breathing exercises or go on social media or do what, what balances you. I think that's a really important thing that a lot of people neglect because they get so caught up in the work they're doing. Really, really good point. Yes, uh, taking time for yourself is so important. And it, it just that pressure valve as well because it releases so many other things. Exactly, yeah. It makes a huge difference. Just 15 minutes to breathe to go on a walk, to get a drink, just make time for yourself in addition to all the other things that are going on. Right. Well, Ryan, I know we've caught you very, very early and you've got a full day ahead of you. So thank you so, so much for uh, being with us. And hopefully you know, maybe you come back and join us and let us know how things are going uh, at another time. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me, Linda. 
Ryan, it's been a pleasure. And thank you all for listening, being with us again this week. And as I always say, great thing about podcast is you can go back and you can listen to it a thousand times. So uh, loads of golden nuggets there from Ryan, especially if uh, you are having issues and you're not sure just go back and listen great advice there about taking time for yourself and uh, you know talking to people get it out in the open don't bottle everything up and for me we will be back with you soon uh, in the next edition and stay safe look after yourself bye for now thank you for listening this podcast was recorded in conjunction with the chapel fm art center and east leeds fm radio station For more information about them and all the good work that they do is www.elfm.co.uk and to know more about what Linda Sage is doing her website is www.lindasage.com also on all the other social medias.